It's a powerful thing to join in the congregation of, of the church and to, to witness the testimony of the confession of our faith in song together. Two songs in a row confessing what we believe. It's an awesome thing. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for this company of believers. It is our joy and privilege to gather to offer to you our confession of our faith in song. I praise you. To worship you. But Father, we recognize that our praise cannot be a replacement for practice. So may we today follow through with the things that we learn, the words of our God. May they implant themselves deeply in our heart to the degree that we live out the truth in our lives. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen. Well, it is very good to have Pastor Kelvin back from sabbatical. I'm sure you agree with me. He has been missed. And in light of the fact that I wished my mother a happy birthday, I better wish my wife on this, her special day, a happy birthday. It is... It is a milestone birthday, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> if she chooses to tell you, that's up to her. One of the more astonishing and sobering things to me from the stories of the life of Christ is on the day when he announced to his disciples that he was going to be betrayed by an insider. One of you will betray me. What's most astonishing about that is that none of the disciples knew who that one was. Can you imagine? Now these, these men lived together three and a half years roughly, traveling together, being together, talking and, 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 and living with each other. And nobody had any idea that the one who would betray Jesus was Judas Iscariot. In fact, they were wondering if they were the ones and they didn't realize it. To me, to me, that's one of the most astounding and astonishing things and sobering things from the New Testament record of Jesus' ministry among us. How could they not know? Or were there no was there no evidence at all? And apparently, there was no external evidence that Judas Iscariot was the son of perdition. Now, we've just spent a number of weeks concluding the Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus' final sobering words in the sermon were with respect to authenticity. Are you real? Or are you self-deceived? It doesn't always become apparent by how we carry ourselves externally. And G Judas represents the type of disciple because that's what he was called. He was one of the disciples, one of the 12. Judas represents the type of disciple Jesus was warning his disciples about and warning us. In their fearful conclusion addressing apostasy here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' conclusion, Jesus is specifically thinking about those who will call themselves Christians. So would you please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7 as we bring to conclusion the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and remind ourselves what the Apostle Paul said, test yourselves, examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith, whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul was writing there to a very difficult church. Although disturbing, all around us we are watching church leaders fall, Christians who are warehousing sin. On several occasions now I've bumped into people who are telling me that they're, they're managing their sin. They're managing their sin. Christians declaring that it's coming along with them, kind of like a, a disease, but they're managing it. Beloved, we never manage sin. Sin manages us. Church denominations that are rewriting 2,000-year-old doctrine with modern updates to accommodate modern immoral behavior... Jesus was talking to these people, but he's also talking to people who no one would suspect. In fact, they're self-deceived. Thomas Aquinas writes this, it belongs to a great pride that persons prefer their own opinion to divinely revealed truth. So how you and I live has everything to do with how we view Jesus, how we regard him. So let's look at our text this morning. Jesus 
concludes this way, verse 24 of Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds... Remember, he started out with disciples. Now there are crowds. We're amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of God. Before I read the text to you, I said, the reality of who we are and how we live has everything to do with how we regard Jesus. It all comes down to that. And this summary at the very end is key. By whose authority? We're living in a day uh, when we're questioning everybody's authority. What right do you have to say this? Or do you have the authority to say this? Or by whose authority? Or who says so? It became immediately apparent to the crowds as they listened to this teacher that he was something special, that Jesus was different. By whose authority? The essence of the Sermon on the Mount, make no mistake about it, is the king of the universe clarifying for humanity who his kingdom citizens are and how his kingdom citizens live, and who he calls into his kingdom by his authority. This carpenter sitting on the side of a hill, not in a synagogue, speaking with authority, and they were amazed. Remember, he had said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20, which has been our key source, our, our key understanding of everything that Jesus has been teaching about. Unless your righteousness, as he sits down with people and looks us eye to eye, he says to us, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Let's make sure we understand what he's saying. It's not a competition, it's a quality. The righteousness of the Pharisees was a self-righteousness, a self-made religious life, a good behavior kind of thing. The problem with that righteousness of good living people, good church-going people, good religious people, is that kind of righteousness can't atone for your sins. That's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees or that kind of righteousness, 
You can't enter the kingdom of heaven because your sins have to be dealt with. And it was the perfect, sinless life of Christ and his righteousness that justifies us. And only as we have received the righteousness of Christ are our sins atoned for and can we enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the distinction here. It's not a competition, it's a quality. It's a type of righteousness that you must have in order to be saved. It is Christ's righteousness acquired, received, accredited to your account in life. I, I want to make sure as we review that we understand that that's the core essence of what Jesus is talking about. And now he's describing people who are self-deceived, who may be living some sort of a righteous life, but it's a self-righteous life. And it's the most disturbing because good people, good living people, good religious people can think that they're in good position and a good relationship, but they're not. It's all about the source of your righteousness. You know, look up texts like Romans 1.7, Romans 3.22, Romans 5.17. Christ's righteousness is critical to our salvation. So this is the king of the kingdom who alone has the authority to determine the citizenry of the kingdom. Beloved, when we gather together around the word of God, we too need to be amazed. We too need to look at each other and say, isn't this incredible? Isn't Jesus amazing. They looked at him and, and I would submit to you that a test of a church that is teaching core truth is how the congregation receives the amazing word of God. If you're in a church where it's lifeless and empty and cold and the word seems to have no authority to it, then perhaps you're in a place where People are teaching like the teachers of the law of that day who were just quoting opinions on the Torah, quoting writings of other rabbis, and not speaking with the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, we human preachers are not that authority. It is whether or not the person bringing the message is proclaiming the truth of God's word as it is delivered and has been delivered by Christ. This is the authority. 
Jesus sat down and said, you have heard it said, but I say, I wasn't quoting some other rabbi, some commentary on the Torah. Jesus speaks with authority as creator God, I say. I hear people today who are jerry-rigging scripture saying stuff like, well, Jesus never said that or Jesus never said this. Therefore, it's okay for us to do this even though somewhere else in scripture it says it's not okay. Can I remind Calvary Baptist Church of 2 Timothy 3.16 one more time? All scripture is God-breathed. And who is Jesus? God. All scripture is Jesus-breathed. Not just the red letters in your Bible. Right? So Jesus says, therefore, first word in verse 24, what's he referring to? He's referring to the last three or four sermons you heard from the various men of our pastoral team. He's referring to those broad road culture lovers with narrow road outcomes, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. What we see happening in evangelicalism today is a number of, a number of leaders who are trying to promote a broad way of living that ultimately gives you a narrow road outcome i.e. eternal life. They don't like the narrow road. So they're adjusting things to make the road broad. Make it broad. In spite of the fact that Jesus said the road that leads to eternal life is narrow. Few find it. So he's talking to those who love the culture so much that they want the culture to infiltrate the church. Make it easier. Make it more palatable. Make it more attractive. Attract more people. Jesus is speaking to that, therefore, is to them. Jesus is also speaking about those who are self-deceived by appearance. In Matthew 7, 15 to 20, actors whose fruit doesn't match their profession of faith. Therefore, he says, talking to those. Jesus is also talking about those who are deceived by activities. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Those who are busy saying Jesus' name over and over again, 
using Jesus' name to sponsor religious sideshows. It's a sham. Just because there's a lot of religious activity doesn't mean that there's saving righteousness among those people. Therefore, Jesus says. And his final therefore is this morning. For people who are deceived by their apparent interest in the word of God. You see these people? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. These are people who like to listen to Jesus' word. They like to listen to God's word. They're in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put into practice. So these are people who gather on Sunday mornings or through the week they go online or whatever, but they like to listen to the word of God. They have an interest in the word of God. They're hearers of the word of God. So this morning, very, in a very concise way, I hope, I just want to show you three things from this text here that will help us to see the different difference between these two kinds of people who actually like to listen to God's word. Now, everybody who's here this morning, I would assume, likes to listen to the teaching of God's word. You're still here. You didn't leave after the music. You stayed. So you like to listen to God's word. You're online this morning. You're still there. You like to listen to the teaching of God's word. You like to hear God's word. Well, Jesus is requiring more than that. So here we have two kinds of people. They're hearers of God's word. They have the same knowledge because they're, they're listeners to God's word. In fact, the phrase there says, these words of mine. Notice what Jesus says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine. Um, the, the real construction is mine words. The emphasis is on mine. It's my little grandson, how he uses the possessive of mine. He says, this mine toy. It's mine toy. This is what it really means here is mine words, Jesus says. Doesn't sound good in English, but it sounds very good in how he said it. It's the emphasis is on the, he owns this. These are my words. When we're li you're listening to the words of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created you. These are his words. Not coming in here with an entertainment attitude. This is the word of the living God spoken to us, entrusted to us, condescends to us to tell us his word. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe would do this. When we gather with this in, in the presence of God, the Spirit of God among us, in us, and the Word of God before us, this is a powerful moment. This is why the people were amazed. This is why when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, the, 
The two men's hearts burned. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as they were hearing the word of God from Jesus himself? Christ is speaking to us now. He is speaking to us through his word, my words. Who, who is this one speaking? The Lord of life, the Lord of history and events, the Lord of your future, who knows everything about you and everything that will happen to you. This is who's speaking to you. And not only that, he was a contractor by trade. And he's talking about house building. Talk about oozing with credibility, says who? By what authority? Well, let's talk about that. That's who's speaking. And what do wise people do? When they grasp and comprehend who is speaking to them and the qualifications and credentials of the one speaking to them, the one who loves them, the one who died for them, the one who brought them into his family, the one who will shepherd you into eternity, into his care for all eternity, the one who loves you this much, this is the one who's speaking to you. And wise people... Wise people put these words into practice, Jesus says. Wise people value the words of Jesus. Not as something to just listen to or be entertained by, but to put into practice. The foolish, these are, list, these are those who listeners who decide that Jesus' words are worth listening to, okay? But after hearing the words, they come up with all kinds of excuses why not to put them into practice. It's too difficult. You know, you hear a hard teaching of Christ. He says, it's just too difficult. It's too demanding. It will bring too much disruption to my life. If I put this into practice, it will, it will seriously disturb my family. It will, make, it will send ripples through my relatives. It's too demanding. It's, it's too unrealistic. It's too impractical. It's too dated. That was then, Jesus. Now, don't forget who's speaking to you. The one who's speaking to you is the one who knows your future. The one who is bringing to you enduring instructions, knowing full well when he gave those, that we would be sitting here in 2022. He didn't put a time limit on this. This expires after the first century. This won't be relevant later on. This word, the word of God continues on. And Jesus, this stuff that I heard this morning from you is just too culturally disconnected. You don't, you don't know what the culture's like in Canada, 2022. This, this stuff doesn't fly now. The Bible's too naive to understand my circumstances. They're so complicated. 
And so scores and scores of people walk away from a listening event of Jesus' word and make excuses why they are the exception and don't have to put it into practice. So you should grab a t-shirt on the way out that says, fool. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I'm foolish. Or I'm wise. Which, which, which t-shirt do you want to grab on the way out today? So two kinds of people, same knowledge, different results. So maybe the difference or the disadvantage has to do with different hardships. Maybe that's the issue. So the, in the first case, when Jesus is speaking here, it, maybe, maybe people are hearing a different message and maybe that's the difference. No, Jesus said you're hearing the same message. You're listeners to the word of God. Well, maybe it's just different hardships. You know, if Jesus knew how hard my life was, he would understand why. Maybe it's about different hardships. On my holidays, I took pictures of two different buildings. They should be up there right now. They're in the same lake which means the same environmental pressures. Very different outcomes. Here's the thing that um, Jesus talks about. He talks about environmental challenges like rain and floods and winds. Two types of lives, but the very same beatings on those lives. Very same. This is not different. The excuse is not because there's some sort of different environmental things. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary in the text reminds all of us that the blessed life is not immune from tremendous pressures. Pretty sure that's not a foreign idea to any of you. Remember how Jesus started out his Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for, for instance. Well, so we started out the sermon, blessed. Well, I thought it was going to be, like, easy. If we did these things, life results would be kind of a breeze. Jesus doesn't talk about a breeze here. He talks about rain and floods and winds that will pound against your life. The, the, the test and trial is not how your life is going to be if when everything goes well. It's going to be how is your life going to stand up when trouble comes, when challenges come. And, and Jones in his commentary talks about the rain, for instance. And this is, I think this is helpful, but it's not described in the text? What is rain? Rain seems to be like the common challenges that all of us will face. It's going to rain. The common challenges, sickness, loss of a job, relational struggles, 
unexpected losses or challenges. Things go wrong. That's rain. Rain comes. How's your life going to stand up in those common things? All of the word of God you've been listening to, how's it going to play out when the rain comes to your life? The the common challenges of life. What is it going to take for you to to walk away from the Lord? Well, then he ups it. Not just rain, but floods. Streams. Worldly pressures that pound on your life. Enticements. Persecution, temptation to take you away from the Lord or to chase you away from the Lord. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What about the, what about the floods, the, the streams, the worldly pressures? And then he says, winds pounding. Winds pounding on your life. These are satanic beatings. If the rain doesn't do it, and the streams don't do it, the enemy pounds harder on you. And your building is going to need to withstand tremendous pressure. Somewhere in your life. Direct attacks from the enemy. Doubts. Denials. Fears. The fiery darts of the enemy. That terrify your soul. Foul, evil, blasphemous thoughts. That are poured upon you. Dark seasons of the soul during great distressful times. If you haven't had that, it will come. And the ultimate when you are dying. Nothing tests the soul like the end. Jesus is urging his disciples to understand the magnitude of the blows of life that only strength in his word will enable you to stand. The one withstands the beatings, Jesus says. And the other falls, do you notice, with a great crash. Beloved, what what kind of a home are you building? What kind of a family are you building? What kind of a life are you building? One that will stand when the rain and the floods and the wind pound against you. When God, by his providence and sovereignty, removes someone precious from you, is your house going to stand? There are person after person in this room 
who has been tested to the core in these matters. And they will testify to you. If they're standing, they will testify to you. It is because of the keeping power of Jesus Christ and his word that was put into practice long before the crisis. Finally, Jesus says, because it had its foundation on the rock. Let's not miss this. There are two kinds of foundations. But these houses that Jesus is describing are similar. It's not the house is different. It's not the construction of the house. That's, it's not, it's not the, the, the look of the house, the external look of the house. It's where the house is secured. Do you see this? The house may look the very same from the outside. But these two houses are built very differently. The one builder doesn't cut corners. Doesn't ignore godly building practices. Doesn't ignore the good code of the scriptures. And it's built on a different foundation. And what's that foundation? It's built on Christ. This, this Bible you have is the word of Christ. That you may have the person of Christ as your Lord and Savior who is the foundation of your life. If you've been following along on the Hockey Canada fiasco, anybody been following that? Maybe not many of you. But suddenly, the world has become alarmed. And hear everything I say, because if you just take a sound bite, you'll be nervous. Suddenly, the word has, world has become alarmed. The world of Canada has become alarmed at how many young men are abusing young women. This has been going on forever. But suddenly... It's a big disaster. Yes, it is a disaster. It's been a disaster for decades and decades and decades. So Hockey Canada is going to fix it. They're going to fix toxic masculinity. They're going to fix the, the toxic masculinity in the sports culture. And their bright idea is to form an integrity commission an integrity commission, that's what we'll do. And we'll impose integrity on young sinful men. And women will be protected by this. Yeah, you're chuckling, and rightfully so. This is a joke. You can't fix sin and the natural bent and slavery to sin 
by a self-righteous integrity commission. This is the point of what Jesus teaches here. If we, learn, if we can learn at least one thing about the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' appeal to humanity to say, you can't fix yourselves. You can't. You need Christ to change your life from the inside out. The house that will stand is the house built on Christ, the rock. And the house that will not stand is the house that's built on the shifting sand of human ideas like integrity commissions. That house will fall with a great crash. We will be looking at each other two or three years from now after the integrity commission and saying, nothing has changed. Young men continue to abuse young women. Unless they come to know Jesus Christ who changes their lives. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So let me wrap it up this way this morning, beloved. To build right, you need to know how. So you do need to hear. And many people don't know what God's word says. And so good on you all, and you online, for gathering together this morning to hear what God's word says. You need to know God's word. To navigate this life, you need to know God's word. Study to show yourselves approved. Workmen who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the truth. You need to know. You need to know because tomorrow something will happen. And you won't be able to prepare for it. So you need to know in advance what God's word has to say so that the house will stand. So you need to know. But secondly, you must put God's word into practice. That's how he changes us. By acting upon God's word. And the first few hours after church, Sunday are the most critical of your week. What are you going to do with what you hear on a Sunday morning? Are you going to describe it away and excuse it away, explain it away, or are you going to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord so that my house will stand? You need to put it into practice. 
And that's why we are so passionate here about discipling communities where we challenge each other like iron sharpens iron to take what we learn in God's word on a Sunday morning and find a way to put it into practice and wrestle through it with each other and talk about it and, and make sure we understand about it and what we need to do about it. It is a vital, vital ministry. And, and you have an opportunity to sign up for that again today if you're not part of this. This is, this is Jesus is telling you. I, I don't know how much more obvious it can be today. Hear and practice, hear and practice, hear and practice, and your house will stand. You won't be a phony. You'll be the real thing. And you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings with Jesus Christ at the end. Beloved, I'm urging you to listen to God's word this morning. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you so much for your word to us. We love you. We praise you. We hear you. Now, oh God, burden our hearts to put the word of God into practice, oh Lord. We recognize that practicing God's word is an act of our faith. Do we believe in you and do we believe your word or not? If it's impossible without faith to please God, then putting into practice your word is necessary to please you. It truly, truly declares heavenward that we believe what you say because we're going to put it into practice. So Lord, as we conclude this sermon series, which has been amazing, you are amazing. And we pray, oh God, that you will be, that we will cooperate with the amazing things that you want to do in our life as we go back through as a congregation individually reviewing what we have learned from this sermon and what needs to be in our life that our house might stand. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. You know, our heart's concern here as a pastoral team is that, that the hearers all belong to Jesus Christ that you have put your faith and trust in him and his righteousness and have received his righteousness and are living by faith, practicing what he teaches you. That's our desire in our heart. You know, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, summarized this so well in terms of how can you be confident that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in, the, in, in light of what we've heard this morning he gives four ideas. One is we do or want to do what Jesus teaches. That we don't reject, rebel, and ignore, and explain away and resent his word. We actually build everything about our lives to make the do and don'ts more likely to happen. How you build carefully. We avoid renovations or add-ons to our house that will make obeying the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle more difficult or more of a struggle. 
Be careful what you bring into your life. I, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, not fight attractions to mammon, bring idols into my life. And then finally, and this is really something I hadn't thought much about before, urgently move beyond religious activities only, even your quiet time to really valuing Jesus as someone very special to your heart. This is something special, I think. We can be perfunctory in our go to Sunday, go to DC, do my quiet time. What is this all about? This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and loving him with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Loving the Lord, encountering him, experiencing him. A quiet time isn't to get the scripture done. It's time with Jesus. That's why I think Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1.18. Though you have not seen him, you Love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's it, beloved. That's the confidence we have. Jesus, the cornerstone, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. God bless you. If you, if you uh, want to pray with one of our pastors, listen, we don't want you to leave here if you're not certain that you know the Lord. There'll be a pastor in the connections room. We'll be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about these things. God bless you.